impact on purpose. Change your home and your dome by following in Jesus' footsteps. I'm your host, VJ Tunkel. Let's get started. for being here. Uh, so for all of our listeners, Doyle is uh, a, a co-host of the podcast, and um, this is actually our first episode in this 2021 season. So we stopped in February, so you are helping open this back up, and uh, really excited to have you here. Uh, welcome to all of our listeners. Um, welcome back to 2021. And Doyle is back with us. So if you haven't been listening through the whole run of the podcast and through the name change and all the drama of that, um, Doyle is a mentor of mine. He is, uh, he's been a pastor of mine. He's a teacher of mine. Um, he has been counseling for how many decades, Doyle? Four. Four. So changing thousands of lives over four decades of counseling. Um, he's a sage in my life. He's full of joy and full of passion for seeing families restored and seeing healthy relationships change the world. Um, which is a saying I've been hearing a lot lately uh, on a certain other podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent a lot of time together going through, digging deep in my own life, and, um, and you've done so much to help me. So I just wanted to give you a platform here today to share your stories um, from your four decades of experience in changing lives. All right, so Doyle, here is my first question for you. Uh, what is your mindset going into a first session with somebody? Uh, trust is the first thing because if, if I don't, if I don't have the client's trust or whoever I might be counseling or something like that, if I don't have their trust, then there's really no, there's no point in going forward because they're not going to do the work they have to do. Uh, they're going to be suspicious of anything I recommend. And so, um, uh, there's, I forget his last, I think it's the author's name is Yalom wrote a book years ago called the gift of therapy. And that really impacted me in terms of working with people because that's when he, he talks about the need of building therapeutic trust in this relationship. And in addition to that, I'll, I also try to pay attention to how I'm feeling because if, uh, if I feel comfortable being with that person and I feel like I can really help them and I also feel like um, I want to help them, then that's going to occur. But if I'm feeling frustrated or I feel some kind of antagonism or I don't like what they're dealing with and I kind of do this transference thing where I transfer my values and judgment on them without being sensitive to where they're at, then I've created a, a barrier to being successful in that, in that conversation. And uh, it's interesting to watch how that happens. So, uh, the first thing I look for is to build trust. That's the biggest thing of all. So um, the second thing is I I start pursuing right off the bat, you know, what happened? What, what got you to where you're at? Because most of the time, uh, most clients come into a session or uh, if it's a pastoral situation, someone's coming into a time and they have all these surface things they want to talk about. But mm-hmm. we all know that there's stuff underneath the surface. Sometimes it goes back a couple months. Sometimes it goes back several years. Sometimes it goes back to a previous generation. And so 
that becomes challenging because oftentimes people don't want to go back and talk about those things so for several reasons one is because of the pain uh one is because it's it's too much hard work to try to deal with those kinds of things they just want a quick easy fix to the problem wow that's really good um before we get let's i want to go deeper in a couple of things you just said but first do you have any stories of maybe an unexpected first session where someone just totally hit you with something you weren't ready for? Um, yeah, I've had a couple of situations, you know, like if I'm, I've been dealing with it, like say a married couple and now I, now I know how to expect it, but I had a couple of situations where there was like an affair going on and I didn't anticipate it. And so now I know what science to look for. Uh, I can tell the, the, just by the body language, I can tell by the way the conversation's going. And I have successfully a few times now gone, there's something else going on in this marriage than you really telling me. And sometimes they don't even know, which is a little awkward, especially if the couple's there together. Yeah. And, you know, someone has to, um, I was trying to think of some individual situations. I think, I think there have been a couple individual situations where um, someone has had a deeper addiction than I realized, and it's it's more severe than I thought. And uh, you know, you, you have to. <laughs> one of the things about counseling you have to do is you have to keep this straight face. Mm. I've I've heard some stuff that's like, I you know, I, I'm not going to share what those are here, but I've heard some things where I'm keeping this straight face, thinking to myself this sounds kind of rude, but I'm sitting with someone right now that's kind of like, maybe they should be in jail or something. And I, mm. uh, I remember one time counseling with someone that was battling with some real schizophrenia issues. And uh, it was a little bit concerning because he was, he was a little bit unpredictable and I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. And so I had to be careful. And I just had one come to mind. I was trying to help uh, a veteran who was dealing with PTSD and he would always come into the session with sunglasses on. And I asked him one day, I said, would you mind taking off your sunglasses? Because I couldn't see his eyes. Yeah. And he got angry with me. No, I'm not taking them off. I said, okay. That's cool. That's fine. So then I pressed him on an issue and I had a small office and we were about this far apart, you know, with, you know, socially distanced apart hmm. and he got angry with me and stood up this guy was six feet six four and he stood up above me and he said what are you trying to say <laughs> i'm like because all all i knew is at that moment all he had to do was take his big hands and put around my neck and i was done wow and so i had to calm him down and assure him that i wasn't trying to put him in a disadvantage how did that sound when you did that? Did you, do you, can you kind of call up any of that memory of what you were saying to him in that moment? Yeah, you know, I, I, I stayed calm and uh, I, I kept using the word, let me assure, I, I kept saying, using the phrase, let me assure you, I'm not trying to trap you. I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm not trying to come against you. I understand you've had lots of stuff you've been battling and I'm not your enemy. Because that's his big deal. I mean, he's been battling, whether it was the enemy on the field or whether it's the demons that are on, so to speak, that are in his head. 
in his heart and I had to make sure he, he understood I wasn't one of those that I was on his side and uh, I had it's almost like I had to go on the other side of the room and sit with him and say I'm with you I'm not an opponent and he calmed down and um, I had another situation with a couple you know it was a situation where there had been infidelity and um, again he uh, this guy stood up and got really angry. He was going to leave the appointment. And I just had, again, assure him, look, you got to understand, I'm trying to help both of you together. I'm not against either one of you. And I've got to call out what's there. But at the same time, I'm not against you. And uh, sorting that out's kind of tricky sometimes. Yeah, that's a really good message to, to anyone who is going into counseling for the first time or, or maybe afraid of going to counseling is that, is that your job is, is to work for them and for their good. Um, you mentioned the word generational a couple of times earlier in, in the introduction question. Can you explain more about that word as far as you've experienced it and maybe some specific stories where you've seen whatever that means at work? Um, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the in the Torah, Moses or God communicated through Moses that sins of the fathers get passed to the third and fourth generations. But when the fathers confess, when the fathers repent, then there's a blessing that gets extended to a thousand generations. And I think that's such a big deal because uh, the impact of uh, confession, the impact of grace and mercy is so much larger than the pain of sin or or failure but the problem is when people are living as as an extension of a previous generation where there's been quote unquote the sins of the fathers maybe it's an al a father that had alcoholism maybe it's a father that had or a mother father or mother that had uh, uh, was really insecure about their own leadership because of the way they were treated by their mother I was just helping someone the other day you know just realizing that um, what was going on was happening because they were repeating exactly what their mother had done to them. And now they're doing it to their children out of their own insecurity because they don't, they don't have any other template to follow. So that's a generational thing. I think another thing that comes to mind, um, it's not unique to Pete Scazzaro with emotionally healthy spirituality and that kind of thing, but uh, any good counselor, I think, uses the uh, worksheet called the genogram. And a genogram simply goes back generally three generations, present, uh, previous generation, and one, one more beyond that, to look at where there's been good relationships passed from one generation to the next, and then where there's been breaks. Hmm. I mean, a couple I was working with the other day, you know, I was, when I found out that, I, when I found out that the, um, the, the, the one of the spouses when I found out that she um, came from a broken family right away I'm like okay I have a whole nother toolbox to bring out here to help you mm. because we're dealing with a whole different ball game and she's 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 in a deficit to start with so her husband trying to figure out why is there so much deficit why why is she so needy you know and he's thinking it's all his fault and it is partially because he's not doing enough to help her. But I said, it's not all you. She already came to the table 
with uh, a deficit in her emotional bank account. So the good news is now we know what it is. What's tough is you're going to have to go beyond the call of duty to make deposits until you break even. Because otherwise, you're not going to make much progress in these conflicts you've got in other situations. So, and I, I think another thing I would say too is uh, there's a book that just came out by uh, uh, Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. She used to have him on the show a lot. And the title of the book is What Happened to You? So you're talking to somebody and you're listening to them and then you pop the question. So tell me what happened to you? And sometimes they look at you like, what do you mean? What happened to me? Well, what happened to you? What happened in your family? What happened among your siblings? And you, that's when you got to keep a poker face because then you find out all sorts of stuff. Like you've got, uh, you know, my brother abused me. Uh, my father would, we would all go hide in our bedrooms because my father came home at night drunk. And I'm like, okay, now we can start unpacking because you, you got to realize those things, unless you've resolved those issues, those things are still haunting you to this day. Yeah. And they've created, the, the crazy thing is they've created these tracks in their brain. So they get stuck in this routine and they get stuck in that rut. And until you kind of bump the needle, they're going to continue to slip into the same cycle. They might be okay for a couple of days, but they'll slip back in the same cycle. Yeah. That reminds me of the book that you had me go through. Uh, it didn't start with you. Where I mean, going through oh, yeah. that, going through that book, another it, good... it made me realize I was treating Emily, my wife, in certain ways because of how I was treated, even though she did nothing to deserve them. There's no like factual basis for those behaviors in those situations. It was just something I was carrying, and I continued that behavior even though the situation had completely changed. Yeah, and what you're describing is it's a trigger. So as you're describing it with you and Emily. So Emily might do something and it's triggering something inside of you that, like you said, has nothing to do with Emily. Yeah. Uh, I, that's the same thing happens like like uh, when, when there's a couple where there's been infidelity and triggers are a big deal in that situation. And the betrayed partner, they can be in the middle of, uh, I read about this one spouse, she's in the middle of Walmart in the toy section. And something in the toy section triggered her, the pain that she was still carrying. And all of a sudden, she's on her knees sobbing in the middle of Walmart. And it doesn't make any... She's like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not with him. I'm not in the situation. It makes total sense. Because our emotions are very complex. And the way they affect the way we think and the way we respond to situations uh, have a, a huge impact you know, and, and what goes on. So, yeah. So I know that the demand recently, probably in the last year and a half for counseling has skyrocketed and you've, you've participated in helping that, helping meet that demand, um, by counseling people all over the, all over the world, right? Through online counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the most frequent issues or topics coming up in this season? Yeah, no, in this season, I read a statistic the other day. It said, uh, one out of six people used a counselor or entered into therapy for the first time in their life. Wow. Uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit because, you know, your involvement with school and, 
you know, going to school and the kids have to wear a mask all day and so on. I don't know if we can ever, we're going to ever be able to quantitatively evaluate to start with the impact everybody wearing masks has done, especially to kids. Like for example, and I'm, I'm getting to your question here in a minute, but for example, um, if we, if you think about now that a lot of people because they're vaccinated or whatever are not wearing masks and maybe I had this experience recently, I was, I was in a setting where all the people I was with, uh, I'd only known them in, in that setting with a mask on. Yeah. And so the first time I saw them without their mask on, I had this really disconcerting feeling because I'm looking at them going, wait, their nose and mouth doesn't match up with their eyes. I even had it happen last night. I looked at this person and I was like, wow, this person does not look like I thought they did. Mm. And, and it's not a bad thing. It's just, I was off. So I'm thinking about how does that impact? I'm really concerned about the impact on kids because we communicate so much with our, not just our eyes, but our whole expression, a smile, you know, a flare of the nostrils, anything. And, and kids are not seeing that. And I think that, I think that the impact psychologically is, is a lot larger, um, you know, a lot more, probably more serious than we realize. Um, over this late eight, eight, last 18 months, people have been experiencing levels of anxiety they've never experienced before. I think there's been a general malaise. There's been levels of depression. I even had a conversation the other night. I was thinking about this. You know, I, I was with some guys that are around my age and we were just talking about, I mean, as you get older, your brain is still wanting to do stuff. But I said, my body doesn't feel like doing it. Mm. And one of the guys said, Actually, I think that's been the effect of COVID and the pandemic. Is I think he says that we all everything got put on put on hold, and so we lost our momentum. Mm. And so now we're we're trying to stir up that momentum, and there's not enough energy to do it. And we're going, you know, and and the, I think the other impact, BJ, is I've been real concerned about the impact of what's going on with the whole Delta variant thing because. Um, I, I don't know. None of us knows if that means if the Delta variant begins to explode and COVID becomes a major issue again, does that mean we're going to go back to where we were with the lockdowns and all of that? I don't know if people have capacity for that because we've all experienced already the impact of what it's like now to go to a store or go to a restaurant and not feel those restrictions. And I don't know if people are going to go, Oh yeah, you know, I'm ready to close down again. I hope we don't have to, but it's because we're not wired that way. We're not wired to walk around, you know, distance from one another. It's been so interesting for me, like in, in public settings, like in a church setting or whatever, I didn't shake hands with anybody for the last 18 months. And even as somebody's extended their hand to me to shake their hand, I'm like, I'm not, am I supposed to do this or not? <laughs> It's kind of weird. And so it's affected, you know, anxiety, depression. It's affected us relationally because we're relating to each other. I'm only doing fist bumps. Oh, sorry. You know, I mean, we're having to apologize for things we shouldn't have to apologize for because that's not the way we're wired. 
And I think if you go back even deeper from a theological standpoint, you know, God created us male and female in his image. And I don't, obviously God's not male or female. He's not human. But there's something about the way he created this that's not supposed to be hidden behind a mask. And uh, it just changes everything in terms of communicating the image of who we are as he designed us to be. So anyway, I mean, there's so much, so much. Um, um, let, me, let me add one more thing. Sure. You know, so I think the other interesting thing with COVID that's, that uh, nobody thought of. So I was working with this couple. Uh, the husband, his job is in Manhattan. They live up, they live north of Manhattan. So he would go in on the train every day, right, for his job. And his wife, uh, they have a little toddler. She's pregnant, acting like a pregnant mom with different things and challenges and a toddler. And she's home. And then the pandemic hits. And he's not going into work. So he's home. And I thought it was so interesting because now she's super vulnerable. Because he's home all day. Watching what her day's like. And she can't just go flop on the couch and let the toddler just do whatever because he's going, I can't think. I'm trying to get work done. And why is she screaming? And she's like, welcome to my world. You know, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And and you, and you, and so he would come into the kitchen as she's preparing a meal or whatever and start cleaning up after her. And she's like, hey, I don't go in and look over your computer and tell you what to do with your clients. So don't come into my kitchen and start cleaning up after me. And it was really weird watching them try to navigate the blending, the, you know, the, the overlap of their relationships. They had not even, they weren't prepared for that. And he, he needed space in his day to decompress at the end of a day. And his, his ride, train ride, he found out his train ride was his time to decompress. And then he walked in the door and he's ready to engage his family. He wasn't having any time to decompress. So he was walking on edge all of the time. And it was driving her crazy. And so they're they're having conflict in their marriage for the very first time in their years of marriage. And they can't figure out, where is this conflict coming from? I said, it's coming because you're trying to live under the conditions of a pandemic. And you don't know what to do. You've never experienced this before. Yeah. So it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think to to add to that and what you were saying before about people not really being ready to go back to another shutdown, um, I've heard a, I've heard from John Eldridge a lot, and especially why he wrote that that book, is people are out of margin, like they right. the pandemic was it was like the shutdown was we we made it through because we had some like just margin left, we had some juice right. set aside, some reserves. That's probably the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. We had a reserve tank, and now. Now it's gone. And that's why coming out in the spring and the, and the summer, it was so crazy. I mean, I've, I've heard more road rage this the last couple months than I've ever heard in my life. People just don't have the reserve mm-hmm. for patience or the space for, uh, to go slowly. Um, and that is going to be very interesting if, if the current situation does not continue to improve. That's a good, I think that's a really good point. I think, obviously, it's a complicated issue, but the issue of 
different um, levels of crime in our cities, the road rate issue, and all those kind of things. Um, you can't ignore the impact of what the last 18 months has brought on people. Mm. Because people are just, they're tired. They're just tired. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I know you and I have talked about this too. I mean, you, you are pretty good at successfully avoiding anything in the news. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we both know that most people don't manage to avoid that. So depending on what they listen to, I mean, you could, you could listen to three or four different sources in an hour and have no clue which way to go. Yep. So now you're walking in a state of confusion trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to go in the store with a mask on or a mask off? Am I, should I go to a restaurant? I've been amazed, you know, we, my wife and I, we, we didn't, we probably traveled way more than we were supposed to this last year for different reasons. And I'm really surprised the number of people I've talked to in the last month, not only didn't just take a flight to some other state or country, they didn't even take a road trip. And like they went on a vacation and they got out of town for a few days and they're like, yeah, this is the first vacation we've had in 18 months. That's crazy. I mean, I don't know how they did that. You got to have time away. Yeah. You know, space. And and to go back to what you said, you've got to have somewhere where you can replenish your resources yeah. to have reserves. the margin. And your reserves. Yeah. So it's 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 been a crazy time. Yep, it has. The what you were saying about the news, uh, my family was having a conversation a couple of days ago and I was just listening because I really don't have anything to add. And they were talking about this personality and this personality might be moving to this network and this TV show. And it was all news-based. And they were like, well, these guys are lying. And then we get the real story. And I was like, news is not information anymore. It's it's for entertainment purposes. Right. And you guys are talking about it like it's a reality TV show because that's the closest example to what news has become. Um, and that, actually, I think they actually heard that, that this time that I said it. And it was very interesting for them to watch them consider like, oh yeah, this is really just, I get to, it's not about telling the truth. It's not about uncovering the story. Right. It's about giving the most interesting story I can, whether that is embellished or fictional or fact, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. 